0: coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast and add it to their library of favorite podcasts. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I'd love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen a coaching client seeking their second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to contact me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. When returning citizens come home, we have discussed numerous scenarios, challenges, and strategies regarding the ongoing re- reentry journey. And of course, we are dedicated to helping you optimize all the opportunities that you have along this reentry journey. One of the emotions that do get in our way a lot is the desire for revenge. When we're away or even you're going through life, we encounter numerous challenges and situations along the way where people will wrong you, some in small ways, others in major ways. And then there are folks who will go through unmanageable lengths and will manifest even shocking ways, as one would say, to do you dirty. We've all been there. I've been there. I know you've been there. People you know have been there. We've all experienced someone that we know that has been done wrong. Unfortunately, there are times in in which we have done folks wrong as well. Um, I had an uncle who was my godfather as well who used to say to me that he didn't want to live life by having to ever say, I am sorry. He stated he never viewed himself as a sorry person, so he wasn't going to label himself as, I am sorry. Instead, he would say that he would apologize by simply saying, I apologize, if he offended or crossed anyone. But he emphasized, while no one was perfect, you try to live life in an intentional fashion, so one would not have to cross anyone intentionally to compel an apology. Now, we don't live perfectly, and sometimes things go wrong. And if it's on us, we apologize. But my uncle's lesson was to live life basically to be good to everyone, that we would not have to make an apology necessary. In his old school fashion, my uncle always stressed that if you did something wrong, whether it was intentional or unintentional, then it does no one any good to hold on to guilt. It was better to apologize on the situation make amends to the individual or individuals in which you've wronged and then the healing will begin for you and for them but going back to feelings of revenge when you're crossed it's natural to feel that you want to quote-unquote even the score and why do we feel that way we feel that way because if we're done wrong by someone we feel that there must be an answer there has to be a response from you in order to even the scales or whatever is right in our minds Guilt revenge. These are, these are such wasted emotions. And they're robbing our lives. They're robbing our re-entry journeys of realizing our full potential, our full joy. There are numerous stories that I could share. So many, so many, so many stories that I could go on and on and on. And this podcast would be never ending. <laughs> While I won't go on and on and on, I'll certainly share a couple of stories from my experiences that I hope will help you realize that We don't have time to give life to these wasted emotions. And let's start. When I first came home on work release, I ran into an individual who was once a very good friend of mine. We worked together, we went to college together, and ultimately he falsely testified against me in court. And when we were in state reception, he greeted me as if we were reunited as two friends in summer camp. I was baffled that he seemed so clueless as to what he did to me and that we were currently in a carceral state, so I didn't see why he was so happy. But nevertheless, I kept the conversations and interactions with him very short as I didn't want to give him any excuse to find a way to jeopardize my freedom in work release or my pending parole. I didn't want him to feel like, oh, I feel threatened by Richard and he would just run to court and say, I did this and did that to him. So I felt like, you know what? I'll just keep it polite. I don't have to go through any confrontations with him. During the 10 months I was on work release, I I would think about him as far as what, what he was thinking and what he was going through and why he did what he did. I also thought about the leadership of the organization that pushed the criminal case and did not take into account the extenuating circumstances that would have demonstrated the errors in convicting me. Now when I was granted parole, I saw my former friend in the parole office when I had to report to parole and he had to as well. He he gently greeted me again because he kind of knew that, you know, we weren't on the we weren't on each other's christmas list, but he still was trying to be polite. I said to him and I could see by his face to his surprise, that I said to him that he and I should have a phone conversation and that if he could call me that evening. I made the decision to speak to him because now I felt like I was on parole and I felt that any risk he probably presented to me was minimal. And it was time to have that really come to the truth conversation, talk with him. We spoke to each other that night on the phone and after less than a minute of small talk, I completely unloaded everything I was feeling over the at that moment and really over the last three years up to that point. And then there was also a part of me that I just felt like telling him off and dressing him down and then, but even all the things that I got off my chest for that fleeting moment, I got off my chest, i f- I felt somewhat better. But the moment was indeed fleeting. His response to me was he continued to make excuses. He didn't own what he did. He didn't apologize. He didn't own anything that he did he had done to me and my family. He asked me for forgiveness, even though he didn't apologize. But I told him that forgiveness would be a process for me, but our friendship was indeed over. Karma is a really tough thing. I believe, I really do believe in karma. Through the grapevine, I have definitely heard over the years. I haven't spoken to him in over 20 years. I know that he's had some successes in life, but I know that he's experienced some pretty hard difficulties along the way. I didn't have any joy about hearing about his challenges, but I really chalked it up to karma. I had to give it to God. Not for him, not but for me, for me to have that peace. At this point, I had to give myself that peace, and at this point, I could say, I have forgiven him, but that peace was for me. It wasn't so much for him, and doing that act of forgiveness was certainly much more beneficial than any conversation we had or could have had in subsequent years. Even in that lesson, I still felt like giving someone a piece of my mind would be the best revenge, because now they would know that I would not let any injustice against me stand but I had to continually learn that just doesn't work. It really, really doesn't work. At the conclusion of my parole, my intent was also to write to the leadership of the organization who pushed the prosecution, or let me say the political persecution against me, and share with them that despite their best efforts, they missed, they didn't kill me, they didn't destroy me. When I shared my intentions with someone who works in that industry and knows that leadership, she simply said to me, Richard, just let it go. Remember that you're blessed, you're free, you're home, and writing that letter, what would that really accomplish at the end? At that moment, I understood what she was saying. And I went back to the, to the, to the default position of saying, letting it go, giving it to God, and knowing that karma will, will know how to deal with that leadership. Even though I let it go at that moment, it certainly was not easy. But I knew that I was at peace and then I said I gave it to God. When you're at that level at the beginning of your re-entry journey I remember saying to myself and I'm quite sure some of you who are at that point have said to themselves you know when I have more money and I have more responsibility things will be better but remember the more you're given the more you earn the more responsibility you have. Let's fast forward to a more recent time I was managing different departments where I had to deal with absolutely blatant racism from employees. And unfortunately, we live in a time now where there are people in this world who are completely unapologetic about their racism. I dealt with employees who were disruptive with their racism. They would attack my character and utilizing terminology such as reverse racism, quote unquote. I never knew that there was such a thing as reverse racism. To me, racism is racism, but they felt like, you know, that's that's the terminology they wanted to use against me. And they wanted to utilize techniques to destroy my character. Now, these are people that now these are people that were not of we were not of the same cultural background. So I'm not saying that I expected it. I was still surprised because I felt like, you know, you treat people fairly, you treat people fairly. But then on the other side, I also had people who looked like me and we shared the same cultural background. And they were also disruptive employees. And then they would characterize me as a quote-unquote sellout or be difficult for the sake of being difficult. Or they say I was just being just nasty to be nasty. All due because I was managing the policies and procedures according to the institution and the department. And in that, and in that leadership experience, I got a firsthand look at, at how ugliness, contempt, dishonesty and political cutthroat methods are not bound by racial or cultural boundaries. Let me say that again. Ugliness, contempt, dishonesty, and political cutthroat methods are not bound by racial and cultural boundaries. Even when when you think that people are on your side, a lot of times they're not. But the good thing is there are a lot of people that are on your side, but you'd be surprised as to as to the motivations as to why people do the things that they do. And then, and then when you're working, sometimes with your leadership at the time that are not supporting you. You really feel like you're just on your own. And sometimes all you have is you, your word and God. In the book of Psalms, Psalms 91, Psalms 91 describes how things could be going wrong all around you. People could be falling to the left or the right of you, but you're still standing strengthened in God. And these times, it's really easy to want to strike back against racist, non-supporters, character assassinators, plain anarchist. <laughs> revenge is the first thing that comes to one's mind. But once again, like I said, the, the 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 theme of this of this discussion today, this podcast episode, is that revenge is such a wasted emotion. Because even if you strike back, you still have that feeling of emptiness because the feeling of what of what wronged you doesn't leave you. And why do I say that? And why do I think about that? Because I go back and think about my mother's wisdom. And I think about my mother. She lived a life like all of us did. She had her ups and downs and I'm quite sure she had her revenge list of people at times. Some of them she even shared with me. But in sharing those moments and having those conversations with mom, she always said that she always go back to the default Her default position. Remember, all you have to do is pray. Remember, it's about them and not about you. And she would anchor that that wisdom to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 39. And that and in Hebrews 10, 39, it says, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So think about it. You believe. You believe we are saved. Because no matter what happened to us she would say we didn't shrink back we our success is our best revenge and karma is an is the undisputed champion now have i seen all the wrongs done against me righted have you seen all the wrongs done against you righted and i would say for me no and probably for you it hasn't been as well but remember god has given you the confidence and he has certainly said that he will make sure that he makes those crooked paths straight, that he will right those wrongs. I've seen it happen. So I don't doubt whether I see it or not in my lifetime, I believe that he's done it. I've seen people do beloved family members of mine wrong. Some wrongs I did see corrected through karma and some, like I said, some you didn't see, but even though all of our family members, we had feelings of revenge and we even verbalized it and, and vented to one another when we when we had those feelings of frustration, mom was always alert to remind us of Hebrews 10.39. Because of mom's wisdom, we got out of the way and we allowed God to do his divine work. When I, was getting, when I was getting my doctorate degree, when I got my doctorate degree, it was certainly a tremendous academic achievement. And from an academic standpoint, I had a great dissertation chairperson. But as an individual, he was certainly a narcissist and morally bankrupt. When you're around someone for a long period of time, you start to see those red flags about them. But a lot of times you think that they won't execute those bad habits or bad things against you. But a lot of times, you know, it will happen. I even got him into my institution as an adjunct professor because he wanted to get in as an adjunct. So of course I was thinking that we had a great working relationship and a good friendship. And of course, he repaid me with co-publishing with him on an international textbook. And I thought, okay, things are going great. And then all of a sudden, I got word that he presented our work, our chapter work from that textbook at a conference, and he took all the credit for himself. He didn't give me any of the credit. In the academic world, that's considered to be academic plagiarism, which is pretty serious. And unfortunately, I've come to learn that in the academic space, that there are many academic scholars that do that to their students. Definitely no bueno. I even heard through the grapevine that he justified his actions because he was the quote unquote lead author. I certainly had my initial feelings. I wanted to strike back. I wanted to talk to the associate deans and take him off the schedule. I wanted to write and complain about him and just try to professionally embarrass him. But then I went back to mom's wisdom of Hebrews ten thirty nine, And no matter how great he thinks he is, one thing I know for sure, God's word and karma is undisputed, undefeated, and unescapable. Now, in this criminal justice space, in the criminal justice reform, reentry, or abolitionist movement, whatever you want to call it, there are certainly a lot of folks and organizations who are doing great work. And in my reintroduction to the space, I've seen great people do great work. But I've also discovered very quickly that there are times that the politics and the belly of the beast in the movement is as ugly as any corporation or organizational environment that one would see. And when I see people being ugly and those politics are being there and people are concentrating more on themselves than the movement, my reaction and my resolution is just to walk away from them. And allow karma to touch them because you know what? Karma will sit there and touch who it needs to touch, but I but I'm confident that the criminal justice movement will soldier on. The next and last situation that I'll talk about is my son Nanamdi. As many of you who have spoken, who have listened spoken to me and listened to this podcast would know that this May will mark five years since my son Nanamdi was murdered. And it had a profound effect on me, it still has a profound effect on me. And so many of my loved ones. I can speak for myself that I certainly wanted revenge. I wanted the person or people that were accountable for Nanambi's death um, to be held accountable. I mean, and I wanted that revenge. Right now, the case is still a cold case, but I remember the initial police that I, the initial police officers, detectives that I dealt with in the case, and they were very disrespectful to me and my family. I remember that that detectives made a comment. That's saying that um, some of the people that Nanambi was hanging out with might have caused him to be in the place for him to be murdered. I immediately stopped him and said, no, 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 no. You will not disrespect my son's name or his memory to his father and to anyone else in my family. You will not do that. And if you're telling me that murder is acceptable or murder is permissible, then just give me the names of the people in which you are investigating, and I will sit there and administer the justice myself. I said that in anger with tears in my eyes. And I certainly told the detective what I thought about him and thought about his dismissiveness of my child. He argued with me and even threatened with arresting me and and um, threatened to have me have me brought back to New Orleans because he felt like I was being disrespectful and being verbally abusive to him. I welcomed it, I told him that I would pay for his ticket to come to Florida, to come to arrest me, to say that if the best thing that you could do in this case is to arrest the father of a murder victim, I'd be happy to do that. We continued to have words and then I hung up with him. I wrote a letter to the mayor of New Orleans at the time, Mitch Landrieu, about, about how I was disrespected and how Nanabdi was being treated and how the investigation was going. I didn't hear anything from the mayor's office, but a few weeks later, I received a phone call from the lieutenant of the New Orleans Homicide Division, and he assigned new people to the case who were very respectful of me and very respectful of my family. Um, The case is still a cold case, but I still pray and I still know that one day my son will get justice, and hopefully that will continue and will, will be part of the continuing healing process for myself and my family. Now, what happened to the police detective that disrespected me and my family? I don't know. But I know that karma and God is always watching. And I go back to the wisdom that my mother had. And I'll never forget, my mother certainly was in love with all of her grandchildren. And she was particularly close with Nanamdi because Nanamdi spoke French and my mother and him would speak French with one another. And in her wisdom, she always says, remember, the person or people who took the Nambi from us are not, do not have any, any peace. And they're not having a good night's sleep. They always have to sleep with one eye open because they know that they will receive justice. They have to answer for the justice of taking the Nambi from us in this world or in God's world. And once again, all of those, all of those things anchor back to mom's wisdom. And that's what would give me peace. And certainly, will things happen that will go wrong going forward in the future? Of course. But before I have those feelings of revenge, before you have those feelings of revenge, remember Hebrews 10.39. Remember Psalms 91. Remember that revenge is a wasted emotion. You have a life to live. Go ahead and live it. Let's Let's work on that. Let's work on that together. If you're having these issues or if you're having these feelings and you want to get back and get to that next level, let me share some of mom's wisdom with you. Let's work together. Email me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com. Reach out to me via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, at this very moment, at this time, this minute, this second, this day, this hour, blessed with that second chance. You're blessed with that next chance. And I know that you're going to do well and make the best of it. I do well and make the best of my second chance every day. I love you all. Take care and we'll talk again next week.